Hi, this is Jerry Conway, and you're listening to Amazing Spider Talk. Too many who know the angles, uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle Hello and welcome to the Amazing Spider Talk. My name is Dan Gavazdan and I'm the founder and editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. And I'm Mark Chinacchio, founder of the Chasing Amazing blog and currently an editor at SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. Well, thanks everybody for joining us for this special Essentials episode of Amazing Spider Talk. We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we hope to look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. All righty, Dan. And for this week, we'll be discussing our potential essential Spider-Man comic. It's your pick. It's Amazing Spider-Man number 226 and 227 by Roger Stern with pencils by John Romita Jr. Uh, These are otherwise known as Stern's Black Cat Story. Uh, I don't know if it has an official title, but Stern's Black Cat. Uh, And then we'll be checking in with our latest Flash Thompson's Flash Reviews tryout. Uh, and, you know, all the other stuff we do every week. So, Dan, why don't we just get right to it and flash back to the early 80s to a time where Black Cat was not a criminal kingpin. Mark, now that Black Cat is a criminal kingpin, I can't think of her as anything but that. Oh, I still can think of her as anything but that. <laughs> no, of course I can, because these two issues, uh, you know, they are kind of the seminal Black Cat issues. The seminal Black Cat pre-Volume 3 of Amazing Spider-Man, but yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, this is my essential pick, and I got to be honest with you, you know, uh, I've been cho- choosing a lot of weird essential picks, and this one, you know, I, I think it might also be kind of flimsy, but I'm going to make a case for it either way, um, and that is, you know, one of the things I thought was lacking from our essential stories is a good Black Cat story, and, you know, uh, any good Spider-Man fan knows that Black Cat is a big part of the Spider-Man mythos and one of his biggest supporting cast characters, and perhaps one of his greatest loves, if you will. Uh, you know, he even, he even met her mother. Can you say that about Gwen Stacy? I don't <laughs> think so. I don't think you can say that. You definitely can't. Well, no, I would definitely say, you know... In the in the triangle of women in Spidey's life, I mean, you know, Gwen and MJ, and you know, that's usually like the Ginger Marianne debate. 
And then kind of in third place, but a close third place is Felicia Hardy. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, this is not her origin in the book. And I think her origin, she was presented, you know, maybe as a kind of love interest uh, at the very end. Uh, but it was not really a central part of the story. But I think here it really comes front and center, whether it's a ruse or not. You know, uh, I think initially it starts out as kind of a ruse, and then she realizes along the way that she actually is interested in this guy in red and blue spandex, you know, like you do. You know, I think the story that we get from Roger Stern, like, you know, most Roger Stern stories, like uh, this kind of sets up, I think, every future Black Cat story, I guess, until Volume 3, where she would take that really sharp turn. Uh, you know, and, and like it or not, you know, Black Cat continues to be a key character in Spider-Man's life. And so for me, you know, it's funny because I think these issues themselves, not, nothing really eventful happens in them. They're pretty standard Spider-Man stories, but this Black Cat relationship you know, it never really changed from what it was here for quite a long time, and it's why she's so beloved. So for me, that's why I consider this one um, essential. And what about you? What do you think, Mark? Do you think this qualifies for our, our, our uh, you know, hollowed ground of essentials? Um, I, I, yes and no, and, and, and I'll give you the, the qual- why I'm qualifying it that way in a second. I do want to put out there that, um, to me, this is... I mean, in addition to being an essential black cat story, I mean, this is also, I think, the best black cat story. I mean, like, I don't I don't know if there's a better one, um, period, unless you really want to talk about when Spider-Man met her mother or the uh, owl octopus war. Well, that's yeah, uh, that I that's a great story. Owl octopus war and black cat plays a big part in it, but it's not. I don't know if that's necessarily a true all the way through Black Cat story. You yeah, know what I mean, she, she, she's she's kind of a a a, a, um, a mean means to an she's a device in that story. Whereas here, I mean, it's all about the dynamic and you know what what she presents to Spider Man and 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 kind of how he affect she affects him. You know. Out of costume, in costume, and the moral ambiguity of it—it's—it's it's a really smartly written story that we get to see some interesting sides to Peter and Spider-Man in, which to me makes it a really great. It's you know, again, I mean, Roger Stern was just on fire during this run, but you know, in terms of why I qualified it the way I did, here is the thing: it's—it's like, especially in light of the marriage to MJ being wiped away (sighs) is black cat as a lover still a real essential part of the spider-man mythos like i feel like that's been kind of been rendered irrelevant in some ways i don't know i would say up until the turn at the end of superior yes and i think the intent of the turn or at least the original intent of the turn in Superior was that, you know, 
uh, here's a person that Spider-Man had been intimate with, and fairly recently, I mean, in Brand New Day. Yeah, there there's a, that story. Yeah, there was a bu- thing, and there was even that recent or somewhat recentish uh, Daredevil crossover where mm-hmm. Spider-Man expressed jealousy that she was hooking up with Daredevil. Um, to me, those stories and the way that they're written regarding his relationship to Black Cat is not unlike how Peter's being written currently with his relationship to MJ, which is like, oh, hey, yeah, now that she's in front of me, I'll express my feelings about this person. Um, And even at the beginning of Big Time, you know, she was a part of that story, and there was kind of some flirtation there. I don't think she's ever truly left the book. I mean, now she's everywhere. I mean, you can't get... She's on... I was to say, she's on the the cover of... Some of those Marvel Now 2.0 solicits, like in Patsy, Patsy Walker Hellcat, she shows up in, and she's in Silk, and she's in Miles, and she's in. Uh, there was another, I think, a team book that she was promoted as being in as well. I was like, she, she's, she's like Squirrel Girl. Okay, I mean, it's it's, I mean, it's almost kind of ridiculous at this point. I mean, you know, yeah, it almost makes you wonder. Does Marvel know something we don't in terms of Felicia Hardy being in Homecoming next year? And maybe that's why they're really greasing the wheels. I don't know. Yeah, right. They're going to bring back uh, a Felicia What's-Her-Face to play her again. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, I, I see your point, and And I think it's why I have some kind of hesitation about presenting this. Uh, but at the same time, while I did say the contents of the story were very standard Spider-Man, there's no way of getting around that it's a great Roger Stern story with a really wonderful uh, kind of twist ending that is classic Spider-Man where, you know, it's almost, uh, you know, a, a recreation of the Gwen Stacy death um, in some ways that he inadvertently, through his webbing, may have killed someone that he was falling for. But throughout the story, there's this great playback between Spider-Man and Felicia that, you know, uh, it's really quite fun. This will she, won't she go straight thing and Captain Jean DeWolf getting involved. Lots of fun elements here. Yeah, with the with the pardon, right? I mean, you know, which is, again... You know, classic, classic Spider-Man ending. And also, like, that's a, that was a classic Sternism. I mean, Stern, when he was on the book, especially during this era, kind of loved those, like, classic literary twists uh, in his, you know. So it's like, you know, like those Gift of the Magi type reveals where it's like, you know, she gets the pardon from the police department just in time for her to, like, seemingly die. You know, like, like you know, it's it's... You know, and then, of course, you know, when it comes to like Kid Who Collects Spider-Man, it, he takes the literary things up to, you know, 100. Um, you know, but but beyond that, I you know, one of the one of the themes about the dynamic between Spider-Man and Black Cat that gets kind of established here that I really like. And this was also kind of to this point why I also liked it when it was used years later in Ultimate with Kitty Pride was this idea of Spider-Man dating someone who could actually take care of themselves. Like, you know, like women had always kind of been used as like, you know, damsels in distress, um, not just in Spider-Man, but in all superhero comics, so much so that, you know, Gwen Stacy is the ultimate damsel in distress in terms of how she meets her end. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and the fact that, you know, like there's they even tease in one of these issues, like them being partners, uh, they being Spider-Man and Black Cat. It's, it's a really cool dynamic for someone who is like always so overwhelmed with responsibility and guilt to that to kind of be with somebody where they can just be a superhero around them and not have to worry about how being a superhero is going to have ramifications on their lives. Yeah, and, and what makes it also great is that it turns into a classic Parker moment that, you know, he's in love and he's straightening out his college work and everything seems to be going really well for him. But it turns out that this woman that he's in love with or, you know, I guess at this point is kind of infatuated with or whatever, turns out she's morally gray and challenging his ethos at every step. So he can never get what he wants, you know, like he gets this person that can go and fight alongside him that he doesn't have to worry about with this kind of lingering memory of Gwen Stacy, which he calls out to. In these issues, which is quite nice, but at the same time, you know, like, he can't really trust this person, and every time he thinks he can, you know, she's a step ahead of him. And it's a new threat, you know, like, maybe not a threat, but it's a new challenge for him that I don't think this book had seen yet. I mean, much less a, a female villain, which I, I can't – There's there are really not any notable Spider-Man female villains, uh, and I think Black Cat kind of, like, even though she's kind of a copy of Catwoman – uh, not even kind of a copy of Catwoman. She is straight up a copy of Catwoman. Uh, you know, she fits in nicely here. And that, uh, to that point, it's interesting that Spider-Man could, uh, the comic could absorb like a Batman character like this. I've I've read in interviews with like Marv Wolfman and stuff like that. Uh, you know, the one of the creators for Black Cat, where like there's actually like a legitimate rationalization of why she's not. Uh, a black uh, uh, a Catwoman ripoff. There's something to it, and I can't remember what it is right now, and I'm rambling. So if you're one of our listeners and you know what I'm talking about, please call or, or tweet at us so I can clarify that. Well, that's interesting. Now I'm really intrigued. Yeah, I'm sure I got, someone I, knows what, what it is. Maybe it's I need to, I need, I need to reread. I would say I need to reread my DeFalco interview creator interview book that he did that because I think that I think it was in there or was kind of like no, of course she's not a ripoff. It's like oh okay. Well, now that you're saying that, that does sound familiar because I have read that book too, and and that sounds about right. Yeah, but but like I'm trying to remember some, what the semantics are, but like it's like it's a very like adamant case about why it's not a ripoff, and you know. And Marvel's kind of like, we tell you if it was a ripoff, trust us. Like Thanos is a ripoff. <laughs> <laughs> aye, like, aye, aye. Anyway. Um, I have another favorite moment from this, from these issues. And, and another uh, thing I, I think I, that's I, special about this. I think, I think it's when they went to the Force Awakens costume party. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, clearly this is when Marvel are owned the Star Wars license because – Spider-Man goes to a, uh, a costume party, which is an interesting thing because, like, Felicia and, and, and Peter can go on a date together, like, even though they're kind of private personas in costume, they could be literally anybody. So they could, you know, finally go on a date together without, you know, hiding the Spider-Man element uh, of the room. But it's funny because they go to this costume party and Felicia shows up in her black cat costume 
uh, and thinks that the Spider-Man at the party is Peter, or well, I guess she thinks he's Spider-Man because she doesn't know he's Peter at the time. And it turns out it's some other random dude, but Peter is in a Jawa costume, the tallest Jawa in the room, I would imagine. But, uh, but yeah, I always thought that was funny, how he kind of reaches out from under his coat and, and taps her on the back and is like, it's me in here. Uh. <laughs> um, you know, you mentioned you mentioned her not knowing who Peter is under the mask. And here's something, you know, via the power of hindsight that I always kind of found to be a disconnect with these issues was, you know, F- Felicia's very, very kind of forward about wanting to know who's under the mask. Um, and somewhere along the way, after the story, Marvel did an about face on that and it became more about like Felicia only being into Spider-Man and not really wanting to know what was under the mask so much so that when Peter does reveal herself to her, she like gets freaked out by it and doesn't want to see him anymore. Um, I mean, what do you, what do you think about that? I mean, would you, I don't want to say which is the right version, but I mean, like, I don't know. I, I, I tend to think, in this situation, the way Roger Stern has it is how this character would act, right? You know, I, I don't really see them as kind of these two interpretations clashing with each other because to me, in this book, you know, in her previous appearance prior, you know, prior to this book, um, she had like basically professed her love to Spider-Man and it was all a ruse. You know, she says at the beginning of this, she just did that so that she could get sent to a mental institution instead of jail, right? Mm. And she escapes from the mental institution. But then there's this sequence where she kind of realizes that she does actually like this guy. And it's, it has nothing to do with, like, who he is. It's all about kind of, like, what he is and what he stands for. And to me, I read that, I guess maybe perhaps with hindsight, but it doesn't seem discongruous to me because – or incongruous, rather, uh, because it seems to me like she's not actually wrapped up in the person. She's wrapped up in the idea uh, of Spider-Man and the power of of Spider-Man. And to me, I could easily extrapolate that to being like she's really only into the costume and not the guy underneath. Any comments about Romita's art in these stories? I mean, it's, it's amazing. It's it's a you know from his era when he was a lot more like his father and to me it seems like he's very clearly channeling his father especially in the sense that nobody can draw women like the Ramitas can draw women. Yeah, although I wouldn't say she's like total cheesecake here, right? No, I, not not the way she be, would eventually become. Right, uh, but it's not Terry Dodson. <laughs> I mean, I, I definitely wouldn't ignore Felicia if she walked down the street. There you go. Yeah, this is me, cat calling. Uh? Ooh, ooh. Um, well, Dan, this is your pick. Any other final thoughts you want to throw out there to convince our readers? I mean, it's a, if you are a big Black Cat fan, like this should be the Black Cat story for you. It, there, it doesn't get much better than this, and the character is never more, I think, fully formed than she is here. And she just kind of... She enters on the scene in this book. It may not be her origin, but this story, like, I think this is the one that makes her... Because she was introduced, like, 40 issues prior. Uh, uh, Yeah. But she comes back in full force here and I think never left the book after this. Right, Um, right. I mean, it didn't help 
I mean, it definitely helped that she was like a major player in Spectacular. Um, but because of these two issues, there was something you couldn't ignore about this character. And, uh, and I think she's been a part of the stories ever since, enough that Marvel has made her a kingpin. So, uh, you, and you have these two issues to thank for it. Hey, now. Good hey pick. Now. Good pick, Dan. Um, we'll, see what, we'll see when we eventually vote where our, where our readers think. I got a question for you. Are you tired of these flash review tryouts yet? Never, Mark. Uh, you know, it's great to have all these colorful characters coming coming in trying out. Now, now I'm not there with you at your house, but you graciously are running these out of your house, you know. Yeah, it's like a halfway house here. It's it's interesting. I mean, I get these like very minor characters come in for a night or two. I mean, you know, I'm not going to lie, Dan. I kind of miss Eugene's, you know, kind of berating of me, yelling at me. I didn't keep enough scotch in the house, whatever. But, um, but you know, these other guests, they all have their different things. Like, like Lonesome Pincus, he got really angry that I kept the milk on the top shelf of the refrigerator. At least Flash didn't leave behind Nazi paraphernalia and bees. Yeah, but, you know, like, you know, Swarm, you know... Like I was having, I was making a, 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 a pitcher of tea and, you know, when I took the honey out, he thought I was insulting him. I'm like, it's tea. I'm going to drink my tea with lemon and honey swarm. Now go be a reanimated Nazi corpse somewhere else. Okay. <laughs> and, and, and Nathan Lebesky, I mean, you know, like, forget it. Like I, he left and I was like clear out, clean out of quarters. Like, that dude is just playing the slots till the day he dies, I guess. I don't know. Well, he's already dead, but... <laughs> well, anyway, I, I, I don't mean to ramble here, but um, we're almost done, Dan. We're going we're gonna to do uh, this week's tryout, and we're going to do, I think, one more tryout before we let our, our, re- our listeners vote on the actual Flash person going forward. I do have... This next guest, I gotta say, Dan. There's 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 B list, there's C list, and then there is D list. And this character is so D list, I don't even think Dan Slot is gonna use him again. Like, I, you know what I mean? Uh, I, um, I I know what you mean. Yeah. So, um, without further ado, let's give a big bonjour to Gabriel Stacy. Yes, bonjour. Hello to my adoring fans. You might best remember me as the sadistic devil spawn of Norman Osborn and Gwen Stacy. Gabriel, I was unsure whether you still existed. I I guess it's nice to see you. Yes, yes, if I still exist. You're talking about the scenes past stuff 
you know, they, they did this terrible story and then they just tried to write me and my sister out. But I want to say, in spite of the many years of living in shadow with my twin sister, if it's taught me anything, it's that Americans love a good redemption angle. Well, you are the American son, or at least you have the armor. Yes. I have learned also that if you have a, how you say, gimmick, that's one way to get people to love you again. So what's your gimmick? Well, after taking in a showing of Hamilton the Musical on Broadway last night. Whoa, whoa. Wait, Dan, did, did Gabriel just say he got tickets to Hamilton? It's been like sold out for 10 years. Yes, I've decided that the best way to win this contest is to follow the lead of another Frenchman Americans love, Lafayette. But not with a sword or musket, but with the power of my words. Wait a minute, Gabriel. Are, are you about to rap? Drop me a beat. If you're having problems with your comics, I feel bad for you, son. I got 99 problems, but since past ain't one. It's just one story, and sure, Norman was pretty horny. Besmorching Gwen's honor years later was definitely corny. But you fanboys gotta move on from the past. Like how long whining about one more day gonna last? Ooh. The marriage is over. That's it. Move on. And Gwen was knocked up in Paris and gave birth to Goblin Swan. Hit me! 99 problems, but since past ain't one. If you have problems with your comics, I feel bad for you, son. I got 99 problems, but since past ain't one. Hit me! I think you just dropped the mic, Dan. I've, is that what that was? <laughs> I don't know. But what? he's got a pretty sinister look in his eyes right now as he's stomping off. Um, I hope he just, like, leaves the house because I'm Hop a little Hop on afraid. that goblin glider and, 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 and hit the road. Uh, you know, Dad, we've had some, some interesting guests, but I never thought we would have a rapping Frenchman on. Did he leave a goblin glider-shaped hole in your wall? <laughs> Yes, we need that sound effect, Dan. And now, and now you're fresh out of croissants. I'm fresh out of croissants. Um, good thing I might be going to Montreal in a couple of weeks. All right, Dan. We know the rules, and there's a lot of books, so let's try and plow through it. 60 seconds. You want me to start off with Web Warriors number eight? Yep. All right, Mark, I'm going to count you in Web Warriors number eight in three, two, one. This book is certainly trying to instill a sense of urgency, especially as it relates to its lost characters. But now with its cancellation imminent, I'm just not sure if I'm feeling it. I certainly love David Valdeon's art, as we've talked about, Dan. But outside of Spider-Gwen, none of these characters feels all that essential in the grand scheme of things. So teasing the possible disappearance or death of any of these guys is just a gimmick and nothing more. Perhaps I just need to put the cancellation out of my mind when reading this in the future. But this comic feels like a lost cause. So I'm going to say Sacre Bleu, which is bad. All right. Well, count me in for Web Warriors number eight. Three, two, one. Unfortunately, I have to agree with you, Mark. I love Baldion's art as well, but with so much chaos happening in this book, I find myself more and more distanced from the characters and the concepts. I hope this book can come to a satisfying conclusion and close off the Spider-Verse story in a satisfying way. In my mind, that will be returning everyone to their homeworlds and closing down the hub. Because honestly, I'm still not really sold on Spider-Man as a multi-dimensional character. And with time, that feeling has only grown stronger. So I'm like you. I'm going to say sacre bleu. Very nice. 
What's next for us, Mark? Next is Carnage number nine. All right, Carnage number nine. You're reviewing this for us. Uh, I'm going to count you in in three, two, one. Yeah, Dan, I've probably been nicer to this series than it sometimes warrants, but this was definitely the issue where I felt like the creators just needed to do something far more eye-popping with the plot to get me to buy in. I feel like the second arc has been absolutely aimless with this Carnage and Jakarta plot, and the book needs to get out of this cycle of spinning its wheels. Also, Eddie Brock is being used terribly. He's only there for the shut-up Brock punchline, and I, I, I want to see more out of this guy. I get that Jerry Conway doesn't want to tell the same old, same old Carnage story, and I respect and agree with that. But this comic needs a dose of energy and stat. So, Sacra Blue. I can't even say it right. Three, <laughs> three, two, one. Yeah, Mark, this book opened with like a weird time jump that like made no sense to me. Was, am I alone in that, Mark? No, no you're right. You're right. And then I spent the rest of, the t- of its time retreading old ground and reestablishing the character's motivations. And at this point, I'm like you, Mark hoping that this book is headed somewhere new and interesting. The gory and beautiful work of Mike Perkins is enough to keep me excited, but Conway really needs to put some life back into this book beyond strange magic to keep me interested. And you're right, Eddie Brock is probably that answer. So for now, sacre bleu! Maybe with that new Venom book being solicited, and it looks like old Eddie Brock Venom is coming back. Oh man, I'm excited about that. Yeah. All right. Spider-Man Deadpool number six. All right. Counting you in for this funny team up in three, two, one. We moved away from the traditional creative team and it shows. We get a very meta Deadpool series story here under the disguise of a Spider-Man Deadpool comic. In a vacuum, I guess it's fine. But I expect more from the series based on the more cerebral storytelling from Joe Kelly. Just making a bunch of jokes about the Deadpool movie now on DVD and making fun of actors who look like Ben Affleck and Ryan Reynolds is not how I intend to spend my month with this series. Hopefully this is just a one-off standalone issue and not a sign of more things to come. Sacre bleu. All right, your turn. Three, two, one. Yeah, Mark, I have to admit to laughing several times during my reading of this book, especially at the well-timed Hail Hydra line that came from Cap. I I couldn't believe that they worked that in so quickly after the reveal of of that status quo. But this is essentially a one-off comedy chapter that forgoes continuity and makes easy jokes at what I think are well-worn targets, although I live in Los Angeles, so maybe not. Um, I expect something smart, stranger, and a bit more subversive than this from a Deadpool series. So I'm eagerly awaiting Joe Kelly's return to the title. Sacre bleu from me too. Yeah, I definitely chuckled a few times. But yeah, I agree with you, Dan. It was just like, you know, we, we were treated as something of a higher level the, the first few issues. And not so now. But anyway. Making Sil- fun of Batman v Superman is not an original thing. Yeah, we need to move on from making jokes about people having the same name, their mothers having the same name. Yeah. Like that joke, that joke should be officially put on ice. Although I, I heard Bernie and Hillary have the same mother names as well. Oh, God. <laughs> anyway, Silk number nine, number nine. All right, I'm going to count you in in three, two, one. This series still goes in circles a little too much for my taste, but the ending sequence gives me hope that Marvel is finally ready to do something to move this character forward and create some very compelling drama for her. Black Cat seems to be all over the place in the Marvel Universe, but as a foil for Cindy, I think she can be effective. 
Also, having Cindy be so careless with her identity gives her personal life problems as well. The trademark of any good spider book. So I'm going to say, bazoo, bazoo, bazoo. It's just kiss, kiss, and it's good. And I, I, I can't speak French. Have you been able to tell that, Dan? I cannot speak French either. I lived there for over three months and did not pick up any of it. Is it, is it, it's a it's bazoo, bazoo, you know, kiss, kiss. Zuby zuby zoo bazoo. You, you got me, Mark. I, All right. I, I just it's it's a tricky language. All right. Well, I'm sure our our, our French correspondents will have some feedback from me. I, I hope so. All right, Dan. You can go in three, two, one. All right. Well, welcome back, Stacy Lee. Uh, I, this came out of nowhere. Uh, you were missed on the art in this book, and uh, um, I'm so go, I'm glad to see this title continue to successfully balance. All the different elements of Silk's life, even if the transition from Spider-Women I thought was a little bit rough here. The end of this book teases a very interesting future for Silk, even if I personally wanted to see her dabble a little longer with her dark side. Although I agree with you, Mark, about Black Cat. This book has done the best job of making her an interesting and well-rounded character of any of their appearances. I could do with far less of her in the rest of the Marvel comic universe, but in this title, she feels right. So I'm going to say Bizu Bizu as well. All right. That means so, good. Yeah, it means good. So speaking of Black Cat, Spider-Man number five. All right, Mark. Uh, go for it in three, two, one. Yeah, Dan, to your point, here's an instance where I don't see why Black Cat's being used. She's basically tormenting Miles and issuing a giant JK. I'm not actually ticked off at you at the end. And the storyline with Mike's, uh, with Miles' overprotective grandmother does absolutely nothing for me. These books with just awful, over-the-top authority figures seems very inspired to me. And I really was expecting more out of this new Miles book than just old tropes from 70s sitcoms, Sacra Blue. All right. Wow. That's a, that's definitely an interesting take on this. So count me in. in, in uh, well, you do the counting in. I will count you in three, two, one. Yeah, Mark, this book needs to go somewhere. And that somewhere, it seems, unfortunately, is going to be Civil War II. Or maybe, maybe it'll be a good tie-in. But typically, I think Bendis' tie-ins don't typically work out too well. And uh, every new issue of this book worries me more and more about the direction Bendis and the Marvel Universe is taking Miles, whose background is slowly coming into focus. That said, the reappearance of the Super Venom Sting made me downright furious. Miles is an overpowered character already, so any action with him completely bores me to no end. And I think Bendis is in absolute denial about it if you read interviews about this. So... Uh, this series, man, is tanking for me. Sacra blue. Yeah, I think what did, what did Bendis say? He was like, you know, does anybody think Cap is overpowered with his shield or Thor is with, with, with Mjolnir or something like that? And he said something to that point. And it's like, not the same thing, Brian. <laughs> this is a Spider-Man character and a kid who and can a- go invisible, energy burst, kill people with by touching them like what? Well, and, and it's just also being used as a, as a cheat code. It's like, you know, he, he's hypothetically losing the fight, but, you know, I can insert the, my game genie and win the fight. And, and to me, that's just it's, it's lazy storytelling. I'm sorry. I mean, Bendis is a very gifted writer, but that is lazy. And yeah, and, and there's no trade off for any of it. It's not like he uses his venom sting and then it's like. It, it like short circuits his web shooters or something, you know, like that might be interesting at least once or twice. Uh, but yeah, it is, 
it makes me want to drop this, even though I think like the dialogue is so well written, you know? Right. Right. It's funny. I was thinking not to go too deep into this, but I was thinking this book is the exact opposite problem of Dan Slott. Like it has no ideas of what to do with its story, but it gets dialogue and interpersonal relationships interestingly right. Whereas yes. Dan Slott has got all these great ideas for story, but suffers on that level. It's like I wish these two guys could get together. Yeah. Uh, Combine and write one super Spider-Man book. Yeah, I'm sure it would be great. Where the first the first arc is eleven chapters, yeah, <laughs> super decompressed. <laughs> um, so we got an annual issue here, Dan. Oh boy, you know how I feel about annuals. Spider Gwen annual number one. Why don't you count me in? All right, three, two, one. Yeah, this is a fun celebration of Spider Gwen, especially the opening story, which details the first day of Gwen as Spider Woman. Now, I know I constantly rib on annuals counting, but these are the kind of frivolous story compendiums that I think the format is perfect for. I hope this is the first of many annuals for this series and how some of the other spider books will follow suit with annual issues that follow this as a template. Um, Plus, you know, Donald Trump as a villain. How can I complain about that? Bazoo, bazoo for me. Dan, you go in three, two, one. Yeah, I had fun, too, with the early Gwen stories in this book, and nothing pleases me more, like you said, than seeing Donald Trump being portrayed as a villain. Uh, We try not to go political on this show, but (laughs) I think there's no avoiding it here. Um, But I I felt like this annual had, uh, like, three too many stories. I found myself scrambling to keep up with what was happening in each and having really difficulty caring about each story. That said, I loved all the various artists and that this book continues to feel like an indie title published by Marvel. Especially like this issue felt like it's like a showcase of all the great indie artists that are working out there, including Jason Latour himself. But um, I, find, I find exercises like this to be a little bit overeager. Um, so sacre bleu from me. All right, and our first disagreement. Oh, I, I'm sure we're not going to disagree on our next choice, which is Spider-Woman number nine. And I've actually heard some people saying that they picked this title up because of our recommendations. Uh, at least Brian Jacob uh, of The Ultimate Spin bought it and fell in love with the first six issues. That's awesome. So, uh, yeah, Spider-Woman number nine. I'm going to catch in in three, two, one. It's a day that ends with Y, which means it's another great issue with Spider-Woman from Hopeless and Rodriguez. This time around, we get an obligatory tie into Civil War II, but Hopeless and Rodriguez do it in an enjoyable fashion that doesn't feel ham-fisted or irrelevant. Plus, I'm always game for Jessica and Carol Danvers sniping at each other only to shower each other with love in the end, like real people, which this comic book series is filled with. Bazoo, bazoo for me. That sounds like our relationship, Mark. Yeah, well, you know. Sometimes I just want to, like superpower punch you in the face but not right now shut up brock all right three two one yeah mark this issue has all the things a good comic needs action comedy beautifully written dialogue colorful art and cannibalistic yetis that work at a ski lodge yes spider woman remains just ever so weird and yet entirely human for another winning issue that just packs in the goodness and Civil War II, actually, without missing a beat. And I love that Jess wants nothing to do with the events of Civil War II. And as she shouldn't, she's got more important things to do, like raising her child. And yet Carol 
is her best friend, and she can only ignore her for so long. And I love that because I kind of feel that way about these tie-ins too. So, uh, bazoo, bazoo for me. <laughs> All right, Dan, last one of this gauntlet of B-books. Woo! I think we're blowing through these. Yeah, I think so too. I think I think a minute's been cut down to 30 seconds, but there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, Spider-Man that. 2099, number 12. All right, counting you in in three, two, one. Yeah, this book just goes back and forth with its timeline so much. I'm losing track of what I'm supposed to be shocked and surprised about anymore. Where's the series going? That's not meant as a rhetorical question, but I just don't think it's a known quantity right now. Let it be noted, this, this is not the good kind of unpredictable, but rather the tired, circling the wagons variety. I don't have much more to say, Dan. I know that's not a very insightful micro-review. but Were you um, surprised to see the solicit for issue 21 of this series? Yeah, I, I just don't get it, Dan. And, and, and I love Peter David, and I, 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 gen- I like this character, but <sighs> shocked and awed, man. Sacro blue for me. All, All right, right, Mark, th- count me in. Three, two, one. You know, th- I'm going to go a different route with this because uh, as someone who's trying his damnedest or darndest, uh, rather, to read a lot of the DC Rebirth books without ever having read a lot of DC's lineup, my experience with 20, Spider-Man 2099 feels oddly similar, similar to picking up a book full of bizarre characters doing crazy things that I only half understand. And that this is the 20-something issue in this series, if you count both series – and we're no closer to making changes to the story's central premise of, like, correcting the time stream. I'm not sure I'm ever going to grasp exactly what this is about or where it's headed. Um, and whereas the DC comics, I feel like they might be going somewhere. So, uh, sacre bleu from me. We finished, Dan. Why don't you take us home? That's how it goes. So, uh, of course, you guys, if you enjoyed this show, you can find all of our new Amazing Spider Talk we're on uh, episode 122 here, Mark. This is the death of, uh, uh, I guess, the, the Green Goblin episode. Yeah, the death of the Green Goblin episode. And, uh, you know, you can go back. It includes our Superior Spider Talk podcast as well. And, of course, you can find all 122 of them at superiorspidertalk.com or on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play by searching for Amazing Spider Talk. And if you do, please be sure to leave us a rating and a comment to let us know how we're doing, and we'll read it on the air. We've got a bunch of new comments, which is really nice. Uh, we'll read them on an upcoming review episode, but thanks for uh, sending those our way. And if you have any opinions on these comics that we talked about today or any questions, please be sure to email them to us at AmazingSpiderTalk at gmail.com or call 9RedGoblin, our awesome hotline. Uh, maybe you'll reach uh, Gabriel Stacy. He, he might be becoming the Red Goblin. Uh, well, I guess he's the Grey Goblin. Uh, yes, he is definitely the Grey Goblin. Has that ever been confirmed? I believe it has been. Okay, all right. Well, you can do that. Red Goblin, or tweet at us with OK to print, and we'll address and read them on the air. Yeah, and be sure to check out both of our Facebook pages and subscribe to our other podcast, The Ultimate Spin, to keep up with the adventures of Spider-Gwen and Miles Morales, he of the unkillable venom sting yeah they they had a really great episode recently where they had um a, a writer from the website black nerd problems on to talk about how race has been portrayed um uh, in that book and i actually found it a really interesting conversation so if, if that sounds interesting to you go check them out uh mark where can we find you on the internet this week 
Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at JasonASMblog, and then you can find all my writings, including my reviews and my my ongoing listicle projects at SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. Dan, where can I find your beautiful, beautiful online presence? Yeah, of course, you can find all my writing like yours, Mark, over at Superior Spider Talk, and find me on Twitter at, at SUP. Spider Talk. Now, next week, Mark, we have a really special uh, guest coming on the show. Who are we going to be talking to next week? Well, uh, judging from his introduction, I think it's going to be the corpse of Ron Garney, artist of Spider-Man <laughs> uh, uh, during the aught period, uh, during Civil War and Back in Black. It's a, it's a real fun interview, um, and when you hear it, you'll understand that weird joke I just told. Great, great. You know, uh, Mark, uh, I heard that you invited your Uncle Ben over for dinner tonight. Yeah, well, you know, it's been a while since I saw him, since, you know, he dies every episode. But I got word that he was going to be back, so I thought I'd invite him over this time around. Oh, that's awesome. What did you guys have for dinner? Uh, Well, it was his choice, so we had a bit of everything and finished off the meal with wheat cakes. That's classic. That's really great. Mark, what, what the hell was that? Oh, my God. I think it came from upstairs. Mark, did you make sure that Gabriel actually left your house uh, after he left the tryout? God. No. No. Uncle Ben! Uncle Ben! God, Dan. It looks like Gabriel was genetically programmed and emotionally conditioned to murder my Uncle Ben again. Well, Mark, did, did Uncle Ben say anything, anything at all before he died? This is very tragic. Hold on. We just... With great podcasts must also come amazing spider talk. Don't, don't miss the next